And I'm glad to be able to talk on the subject uh, of, uh, we're talking about growth, and again, our, our, uh, this being one of our core values, God gives me all I need to thrive, so I will develop disciplines for a healthy, uh, for healthy growth, that is. And uh, we're talking about the discipline of Bible reading and study tonight. That sounds so basic, I realize, but uh, to me, if this basic discipline were to be true in even 80% of our church's life, I'm a, I just I can't imagine how dynamic, how much more dynamic a church this would be. Um, and so I say that, you remember the famous words of Jesus when he was tempted by the devil, led up by the spirit into the wilderness, according to Matthew 4, uh, by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered and said, it is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When I was a student in Bible college, uh, you know, I, to me it was just, I couldn't believe my first class was at 7 a.m., which I thought was absolutely insane. Uh, but they didn't listen to me on that. I had to show up at 7 o'clock. And, uh, but I had already made a commitment uh, uh, about a year earlier when I'd become a Christian that I, I wasn't going to leave the home without reading my Bible. And so I, I made a commitment to get up at, at 5.30 in the morning. Maybe it was 5, I can't remember, but uh, to, uh, you know, to read, you know, read my Bible. And I, I'm not a big-time morning guy. I mean, I get up early in the morning, but I, anyway, I was kind of a night hawk. And I, uh, I got up, the alarm went off, I shut the alarm off. I, I still remember this like it happened yesterday. I shut the alarm off just unconsciously because 5 o'clock was just like dead man's time, you know. And, and uh, I just rolled over and fell back to sleep. And literally, I was, I, as I was laying there, 1 Corinthians 9, 27 came into my mind. I wasn't laying there thinking I should get up, I should get up, I should get up. I wasn't doing any of that. But I just remember where Paul says, but I, I discipline my body, healthy disciplines, uh, or, uh, I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself become disqualified. And literally, I sat up in bed. It was like God himself was talking to me. And I got up, and I said, I hear, I literally, in my mind, I said, I hear you, Lord. I got up. I spent time in God's word that morning, and, um, and I, I was so, it was, it was one of those mornings that you have from time to time where the scripture was so rich and so, like the dew of heaven coming down. I mean, seriously, I mean, I don't have that every morning. So uh, this was just was so rich. And uh, I, I was in Mark chapter 12 in my, just my New Testament reading, and I came to verse 24, and it was, and it just really struck me because the, the authority of Scripture uh, where Jesus says, in essence, you are in error because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. And so I memorized it. And uh, I memorized it, and I went off to class, my 7 o'clock class with Dr. Gilbert Braithwaite, taught methods of Bible analysis. I literally walked into class and saw these 50 or so students pouring over their 3 by 5 cards, and I, and I said, what's going on? One student goes, we've got a quiz. And I, you know, I go, oh, I'm a, oh my goodness, over what verse? Mark 12, 24. I had never even looked in the syllabus. There's over 31 thousand verses in the bible what a coincidence or not 
I, I sensed the Lord say to me that day, as I literally walked back to my seat, my, seat, my chair, shaking for joy, that God would lead me to memorize the very verse I would need that morning in a quiz. Uh, and I think God was, what he really was saying to my spirit was, I will bless you in accordance with the priority you give me each day. And, uh, and it just re-solidified my love for scripture and my desire to be close to the Lord in morning devotions. And so, at any rate, Peter said, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. And I think that's what this is for a lot of you. But that's a good thing to be reminded, isn't it? And uh, many of you know this is a favorite passage of mine where the Lord gave me an expression many years ago. But here's the passage about brotherly love. You don't need me to write because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing so toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. I mean, you could stop right there. Why are you telling us to love, Paul? I guess we're already doing it. But he says instead, but we encourage you, brothers and sisters, do this even more. And when I read this several years ago, it hit me that, you know, God wants me to do better at what I do best. And in this sense, God wants us to get better at what we do best. Even if you are, uh, even if you would sit out here tonight and say, well, I read my Bible regularly. That's a good thing. Praise the Lord. But I want to get better. Somebody came up to me this morning during the prayer time after one of, our, uh, one of the morning uh, services and said, how can I pray for you? And uh, Which I appreciated. And I said to this individual, pray that my time with God would not be stale. Uh, that it would be rich. That it would be meaningful. Because I've always believed and experienced in my own life and I've taught this to all the pastors that are underneath me and have been over the years that, that uh, really our ministry that we do is, is an overflow or should be from what's happening inside of us and what God's doing inside of us. And I totally believe that. So I asked this, this individual, and I would ask you as well to pray that my time with God would be very rich because that's a benefit to you, right? So um, uh, now as Brad pointed out last week as he cited that great theologian, Discipline leads to delight, which I appreciated. Um, but we'll never discipline ourselves to do something we don't believe is essential. Would you agree with that? We're not going to discipline ourselves in some area we don't believe to be essential. And I would suggest that Bible reading, and daily so, is not just nice, but it's necessary for your life and for mine. To your sanctification, you can think of, I mean, when you think, can you think of anything more basic? Please take that picture down, Doug. <laughs> I guess it was Ashley. Sorry, Ashley. But can you think of anything more basic to the Christian life than Bible reading? That's the first thing you tell somebody that comes to know Jesus is read your Bible. When you read your Bible, God's talking to you. And pray. When you pray, you're talking to God. And uh, tell people about God, those kind of things. But um, are you convinced that that's true, that it's just basic to Christian life? 
Because somebody, some people would say, well, you know, they didn't have Bibles back in the first century. I know they didn't, but you do. <laughs> Allow me to stir you up by way of remembrance tonight, as Peter put it. Answering why you should love, you should read, you should memorize, uh, meditate, and study your Bible. And just, uh, just several things here tonight. One is because, because of its authority. Because of its authority. In fact, uh, uh, Ben put it up there. Uh, CJ actually read it in the little video clip that they had. Uh, All scriptures breathed out by God. Right? And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The Bible is an authoritative book. Over and over again in the Old Testament, it's thus saith the Lord, you know. The Word of God is authoritative, right? Uh, I mean, all of us, um, there's a lot of famous preachers out there, and with social media, and we, can get, we get to listen to them. Some of them just super entertain us because they're so funny, uh, or they're just great storytellers. Uh, and uh, we might be drawn to them for uh, a lot of reasons. But it's interesting to me, the ones that seem to draw the greatest ire, the ones who seem to draw the greatest controversy, the ones who seem to get punched in the mouth, so to speak, are the ones closest to the Word of God, who preach, teach, exposit this book. Uh, because when you, when you teach, and the Word of God is central to your teaching, that it's sort of, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, it, to you who love Jesus and you love the Word of God, it's, it's, it's food, it's, it's what you want, it's, it draws you to God. But if you don't like the authority of God's Word, it causes you to chafe. Am I right? I mean, even if, even if you love God, truth causes you to chafe sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, so it's not surprising to me that the most popular people that keep getting more popular are the ones who are really light on Scripture. And, you know, really big on just storytelling. But the scripture is authoritative. Every Christian should believe and memorize scripture because it is your authority. I can't count the number of times I've looked at people in the middle of an opportunity and telling them about Jesus where I just quoted scripture and just watched the scripture itself just melt them right on the spot. And it just continues to affirm me, the authority of scripture, and of course, along with it, its power. So I should read my Bible... Because it is the inspired word of God. Isn't that good enough right there? The Bible is the inspired word of God. It's breathed out by God. And profitable for all those things there. Uh, one I want to spend a little more time on is, is, uh, is sufficiency. Uh, one of the reasons we should love, read, meditate, memorize, and study the Bible is because of its sufficiency. About, uh, I, I figured it out, it was about 14 years ago that I was in a, um, I was at a conference down in, at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, where I heard uh, Adrian Rogers speak for one of the last times he would ever speak. Uh, he was already dying of cancer, and I don't cross every T and dot every I with Adrian Rogers theologically, but he was a great man of God, a great preacher, and a great lover of the gospel, I might add. But he, he looked at the, it was a pastor's conference. 9,000 pastors were at this conference. 
And he looked at, you know, his, they nicknamed him Old Golden Throat because his voice was so powerful, you know. Uh, he looked pretty frail in the pulpit that night. But he said to us, and I'll, I wrote this down, he said, the great issue of the next generation of Christians will not be the authority of Scripture, but the sufficiency of Scripture. And there's a big difference. Uh, authority is just, the Bible is authoritative of itself, Right? But is it sufficient? And I'm going to argue that in most of your lives, are you ready for this? It's not. Boy, that's an uncomfortable moment there, isn't it? I'm going to argue that in most of your lives, and, and, and I think it's unwitting. I don't think you, uneven, you even know this. You've bought into so many experts of our day. And you've believed so many, so much psychobabble that's out there. So much of it is on social media. So much of it is in all, and you just, you've bought into it. And then you'd sort of bring the Bible in when you need to. Or you sort of throw the Bible on top of it. And Is the Bible sufficient for everything we need for life and godliness. You know the right answer, I think, right? The sufficiency of Scripture asks and answers the question, is the Bible enough? Those on the cutting edge of theological thoughts and trends know that there's a bit of a controversy brewing even as we speak at Southern Seminary. The I don't know if it's the biggest. If it's not the biggest, it's one of the biggest seminaries in America. And growing, Dr. L, Albert Moeller. How many listen to Al Moeller's daily podcast? I'm just curious. Raise your hand, okay? Uh, he should. He's good. Uh, president of the seminary, brilliant man, reads a book a day, crazy. Um, but uh, there's a controversy. Uh, uh, there's a well-known 17-year-old or not 17-year-old, sorry, 17-year professor. He's much older than that. He's been teaching on staff at Southern Seminary for 17 years. He's a professor of psychology. His name, his name is Dr. Eric Johnson. He's been dismissed in recent days. And let me just tell you that he's greatly loved, and many, many people love this man. He loves God. He loves his word. He's a dedicated evangelical, all of that. He's also an integrationist. And if you were at the ACBC uh, teaching, track one, you learned what that is. That's when you take the integration-based counseling is when you take Scripture and you integrate it with modern and old psychology, whatever sort of fits, and you sort of build your... And I know this is sort of a uh, glancing shot at what it is, but basically, it, it basically, in fact, he himself, Johnson, calls it middle ground uh, that's his, those are his words. Uh, it's approached, uh, an approach to what he calls soul care. The idea is that uh, the, the Bible isn't, an, isn't quite... No, they'll never really come right out and say that. But when you take the preponderance of their teachings, the integrations, they're basically saying the Bible is really not enough. And they'd never say, well, God just didn't see this coming down the pike. But that's, in, in essence, what they're kind of saying. And... Um, and so they're looking at areas like mental illness, which, let's admit, that's a, mis that's a very mysterious area, isn't it? And uh, 
And uh, in fact, uh, well, I'm just, I was going to go on and on about that, but I'm just going to kind of cut it down just enough to say that we believe the Bible is sufficient, which means that it can, it has the answers to everything we're dealing with. It means that God has not been caught off guard. It means that it means that it isn't like God is up in heaven going, well, I just never saw this coming. I should have put that in my word. In that, in that famous passage in 2 Timothy, verse 16, in verse 16 it says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And then the 17th verse says this. Look at it and stare at it for a moment. It says... That the man of God may be what? Say it. Competent. Some of your Bibles say complete. In fact, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's the only time this word is ever found in the New Testament. It literally means ready now. Isn't that cool? It means ready now. I like that. And then what's the next word? Everybody say it. Equipped. That word's only used a couple of times in the New Testament. It, means, it literally means to be completely equipped. For every good work. Now, just look at it. That the man of God, this is the scripture, this is the breathed out word of God. What it does is it, it, it makes you competent. That means it makes you ready now. And it makes you equipped, completely equipped for every good work. Now, I'm not adding to scripture. This is what the Bible says. Do you believe that? No, I'm asking you, do you believe that? Because I believe that. And that's why all of our counseling here is based on, the, on Scripture. And we don't ignore the issues of life, and we're not against medicine and things like that. But we are saying that the Scripture has an answer for us. I remember when I was dealing with, uh, with an individual who... Uh, was was taking a lot of tradition and um, and I was having a, basically a debate with somebody who was used, who really was a formidable opponent on uh, integration stuff. I remember I, I I called one of my, this is many years ago. I called one of my profs from Bible college and I just said, "Hey, this is what's going on." I mean, how would you respond to him? And I it was like I got so much in the weeds on this. He took me back to this basic verse right here. I mean, just, that's why I'm asking you to just stare at this verse for a while. Do you believe that about the Bible? Do you believe that it can make you, the person of God, ready now? And do you believe it can make you, the person of God, completely equipped for every good work? Do you believe that? That's really the question here. And this is one of the reasons why we want to spend time with Scripture. I love the psalm, the psalm that says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. So therefore, I conclude with sufficiency. I should read my Bible because it is, in, in it is contained everything to both complete and equip me to serve the Lord. That's why i got to be in this book. I won't have to chase after all this other stuff. I want to talk about reverence. I should read, study, 
meditate, memorize the scripture out of reverence and love, I might add. I'm ashamed to admit that I, I learned reverence uh, as, uh, and maybe not so ashamed, as a, as a little Catholic boy. Um, I, was, I went to parochial school for 17 years. And when I was having, I was going through my first communion, I was given a little Bible. And I, thought, I remember the, I was a little white Bible, I remember just a little New Testament. And, um, and I remember the... Um, Monsignor O'Hagan came in to our class. And when on the day they were all distributed, and we're all holding our Bibles, it's a pretty big deal. And he taught us how to treat the Bible. Literally, treat the Bible. And he said, if you drop the Bible, then people, you will drop it. That happens. He goes, but you need to pick it up and you need to kiss it before you put it back down. Now, this is ritualistic. I get it. But there was, a, there, was a kind of a, there was a kind of a reverence there. I remember when the priest would read. They would read the Bible. Then they would lift the Bible up before the congregation. They would say, thus saith the word of the Lord. Everyone in unison would say, praise be to the Lord our God. Remember that, Catholics and former Catholics? And then, you gen, then he'd genuflect, and then he would kiss the Bible. Is there anything to that kind of... I'm not telling you to do that, okay? But I am asking you to cut through and see the, the reverence of this book. We throw them around. They're tattered and torn. And This morning, somebody put a donut on my Bible. You know who you are. We were... I was in the sound room, and this individual who serves, our, serves in our church, not, not paid, no paid person would ever put a donut on my Bible, although Abe might say different. I chewed him out one time, too. But, the, I mean, here I am thinking about this, and, and my Bible is up there, and this person took his donut and plopped it right down in my Bible, and I said, don't you dare put your donut on my Bible. It sounds so legalistic, doesn't it? Are we supposed to love the Bible? Do you think we should love it? The Bible tells us we should love it. The psalmist said, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day. One of the greatest compliments... Uh, I ever received to my soul uh, was actually during a funny story that Dave Heisterkamp tells. And anytime Dave Heisterkamp tells a story about me, it's usually funny because it's at my expense. And uh, I, we were in California several years ago, and I, got a, I, I had a massive kidney stone attack. I had a kidney stone that was, I had in fact not one but two of them, and they weren't going anywhere, except they were causing me tremendous agony. And it was so much so, he rushed me to the hospital, which is a story in and of itself. I'll bypass that part. And I got there, and I was in so much pain, the nurse hit me and then hit me again with morphine. The only time I've ever been given morphine in my entire life. 
And uh, I mean, that's the, that's the death drug. And, uh, and so Dave loves to tell how I was laying there and saying, Dave, oh, I just love the word of God. And all I can imagine, I can't, other stuff could have been coming out of my mouth. But he made a big joke out of that. And, and of course, it was funny. But deep down underneath the layers, I, that was encouraging to me, that that's what came out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm always afraid if I get Alzheimer's, I just can't imagine what might be coming out of my mouth. You have magnified your word above all your name. Does that not speak of reverence? And as Isaiah finished his tome of a book, he writes, I will, God says, I will look favorably on this kind of person, the one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. And that's, it's true. I, I mean, it, it's true. I, they joke about it, but I, I, it's just a, it's a ritual, I guess. I won't put anything on my Bible. I won't put anything on, I won't put a piece of paper on my Bible. Uh, because to me, this is the thing that should be magnified above everything. Because it represents the very word, because it is the very word of God, right? And I think you should read your Bible because by doing so, you demonstrate the very expression of your love for God himself by, by just reading your Bible. You're, you're telling God, I love you. I love you because I love your word to me. And uh, I, 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 I honestly, I honestly, I, get up, I can't wait to, I get, I get giddy when I wake up in the morning. Every morning, I just can't wait. My wife and I, we pray in bed, and then we get going and make the coffee. And I just can't wait to get into my chair and open up God's word to hear what he's got to say to me. It's God talking to me. It's my audience with him every day. And yours too. So, so let's, I should read, I should study, I should meditate, I should memorize scripture uh, because of these things. Because of authority, sufficiency, reverence, and then sustenance. I, I just read here, as we started in Matthew chapter 4, you know, Jesus and his reply to Satan. Here's, here's where he was actually quoting. Uh, he was quoting from Deuteronomy, and he humbled you, God humbled you, the people of Israel, and let you hunger and fed, he let you hunger first. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does, read this with me, man does not, I can't hear you, live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and think about it. Satan's temptation of Jesus is caught, elicited this response. Turn those stones into bread. If you're hungry, you haven't ate for a month and a half. Oh, you haven't heard what my father said? A man 
doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Even in excruciating pain, Job said, I have treasured the words of your mouth more than my necessary food or daily food. I, 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 it's, I think that's the ESV there, but same thing. I, even in pain, I love your word. I treasure the words of your mouth more than the food that's necessary for me. So Jesus' two sources of spiritual food, according to the New Testament, were the Bible, the Scripture itself, and doing God's will. Remember in John 4, he, remember he said, I mean, do you need something to eat? He said, I have food. Remember that? My food is to do the will of God. That's what he said. So there is food. There are two sources of food for Jesus, to, to do the will of God and to know the word of God. I should read my Bible because it's the only thing that can feed my hungry soul. Would you agree with that? Guidance. This is usually how we think of the Bible. It's interesting to me, I, if I ask somebody why they're, and in fact, I asked somebody this just the other day, why do you read your Bible? They didn't talk about its authority, they didn't talk about its sufficiency, they didn't talk about its reverence, they didn't talk about the sustenance of the scripture, they went right here, because this is sort of the natural beeline, isn't it? But it's a good one, and it's true, it is our guide. And most of you have, Many of you at least have memorized that verse. If you haven't, you should. That verse from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now the, the lamp was a handheld lamp. It provided light around the individual walking in dark. It wasn't a flashlight that you could see, you know, far away. Another reason why we need the word of God on a regular basis, right? And I can say that I have never, I can honestly say, I've ne I don't think, God knows, I, I don't think I've ever made a major decision without getting uh, guidance from the Word of God. And, of course, that takes believing that God's going to guide you. I know, you know, you're, the Bible isn't going to tell you what job to take when there's two jobs out there, right? You've got to make a decision. But it's interesting to me when you trust the Lord and trust His Word how he will point you in that right direction to make the right choice. And eventually, you just got to make a decision in those areas. But, uh, and you've, you've, some of you, most of you have heard me tell those, some of those stories. I mean, the, the story of coming here to Sailorville was just a weird, weird passage of Scripture, very obscure. Acts 16, I was just, I had I'd been turning, turning uh, situations down. I'd turned Sailorville down, but I knew it was a major decision. I'd just gotten you know, remarried, and I, my life was already in an upheaval. And uh, we were, you know, a divided home and trying to come back together, coming together, and we were sort of dysfunctional and just goofy as all get out and thinking about coming to Sailorville. And I remember reading in Acts, I remember being downstairs of our Belmont home, and I said, God, you have got to show me what to do. Should I just shut the door? Oh, by the way, I'd already shut the door. But... Uh, I was actually sensing through a series of circumstances, I just needed to leave the church I'd pastored for 12 years. And that was, a, that, was a, that was an excruciatingly difficult decision to make. But I sensed he was telling me to leave. I just didn't know for sure. And I said, God, would you show me what to do and where to go? And I was in Acts 16. After the Philippian jailer, it says in verse 36, 
you know, Paul has been freed from jail and all of this, and, and they come to Paul and they said, the magistrates have sent for you to depart. Now go in peace. And I'm telling you, it was like God himself told me, it's time for you to leave. I walked up and told Marilyn that, I said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced God just told us to leave. And her submissive reply was, he hasn't told me. Anyway, she got it eventually. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, but the word of God was the guide. She did happily come along. Of course, guidance involves being warned, not just positively, but negatively, right? So through your precepts, the psalmist wrote, I, I get understanding, and that's why I hate every false way. If you want to know what's false, and, and, the, and the false way of thinking, especially now in the church. I'm talking about the church in general. The church has been infiltrated by falsehood. And the only way you're going to be able to discern what is true or, and what is false is to know what is true. That's always been the case. And it's never going to change. That's why you want to dedicate and rededicate yourself and double down on your time with God and his word. Uh, the fact that discernment is at an all-time low is, uh, is, evidence all, is evident all around us. I was, in, I, was at a, I was getting my hair cut here last week and waiting in line. And this lady right in front of me, the gal is going to cut my hair. I've kind of developed a relationship with, and she's been here a few times. She's not a believer, but I really like her, and she was getting ready to cut my hair. And this other gal says, hey, I think I live in your neighborhood, and she's talking back and forth. And uh, I said, you ought to come to our church. Yeah, I should, and blah, blah, blah. This gal, there was another gal right by, really near me, and I could tell she was listening. I mean, I could tell she was like totally locked into the conversation. And uh, so uh, she just sort of said, well, she looked at me, and goes, well, what church is it that you're talking about? And I said, well, uh, Sailorville Church. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, yes. I was there several years ago, and it was kind of negative. I didn't know how to respond to that. I said, I, was that Brad Posley that was preaching? <laughs> Maybe Chuck to clean. I didn't say any of that. She went on, she goes, oh, she goes, you know, um, I liked it, but it was kind of negative. And uh, by then she was getting, up, getting her little boy that was getting his hair, her haircut. Now, she was, it was clear to me she didn't want to enter into a dialogue. But uh, she said it was kind of negative. And, you know, that's the reason I go to hope. Because it's just a positive message. And as she literally, she's walking out the door. I said, well, I hope you'll give us another chance. She goes, maybe I will. I don't think she will. There's not much of a discernment level there. But Scripture does give us understanding so that we can understand the ways that are False. Isaiah put it this way, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. You should read the Bible because this is your spiritual GPS to God-led destinations. How's that? You should read your Bible because this is your spiritual GPS to God-led destinations. And then uh, finally, spiritual growth. Uh, sanctify them by thy truth, by the truth, your word is truth. Uh, this is what Jesus said, okay? And the word sanctify means to set apart. 
This is how God sets us apart. This is how God uh, leads us along. This is how God builds us up. He sanctifies us through the word of God. The Apostle Paul, when he was leaving the Ephesians for the last time, it was heartbreaking. He'd been with them for three years. And when he, in, in Acts uh, chapter 20, he doesn't say, here are some pictures from my time with you. And he doesn't say, remember that's the, just remember when I'm gone, the sweet fellowship that we had together. Instead, he says, now I commit you to God. This is what, I'm committing you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to what? To build you up and to give you an inheritance amongst the saints. That's what scripture does. It builds you up. It gives you grace. This is a vehicle of grace. I mean, I have to believe it because that's what the scripture says. God graces us through his word. So you should read your Bible because it's the only book with a promise to give you grace, build you up, and set you apart for God's purposes. So just quickly as we take... Our our time to a close. Here's what I want to encourage you to do, and I want you to make commitments tonight. You know, I do this every once in a while to ask you to make a commitment to read your Bible. Read it daily. How many here would raise your hand with eyes wide open and looking around at everybody else and commit and recommit? Because many of you have already done it. You'd, you'd say, I'm, I'm here to recommit to reading my Bible daily. You would say that right now. Raise your hand. I'd read my Bible daily. Amen. Look around. Look at all those hands. Bob, I'm ashamed of you for not raising your hand. I'm going to have a conversation with you later on. I know what he thinks. Boy, you make a commitment like that. You, listen, I'm picking on Bob a little bit because I have this conversation with somebody almost every time. They, and I'm not saying this is what Bob is thinking, but I do know your thoughts, Bob. I'm kidding. <laughs> Some people say, well, you know, you know, the Bible warns us about making promises. That's the wrong way to look at it. The Bible says make promises and keep them. So when you make the promise, just make it with the intention of keeping it. I get it. It's a fearful thing to say, I promise before God to read my Bible. But what more basic promise should a follower of Jesus make? So read it daily. Get up early. You'll be happy to know I'm not going to make you make a promise here, okay? <laughs> I know a lot of you have kids, but you know, we had kids, and lots of them. You just get up a little earlier, and you pretend they're not there. <laughs> I'm kidding. But you get up early. And I know this is a... This is a, a, a my way of doing it, and I've done it for all my Christian life, and, and many of you have adopted this, and some of you say you just don't like it. I, that's okay. I don't care, just as long as you're reading your Bible. But if you're wondering what I, what I do, I read one Psalm, I read one Proverb, I read one Old Testament, I read one New Testament. I do that every single day. Well, sometimes I'll stop when I'm arrested by the Spirit of God. One verse just, you know, just, you know, slaps me, grabs me, throws me around, then I got to stop. And usually, by the way, those are the verses God, God is telling you to memorize. You want to know what verses to memorize? Memorize the one that God grabs you with. But read, get up early, read, and read aloud if it helps you to stay focused. See, get up early. Because if you get up early, you don't have to, I don't think you have to read aloud. But it might help some of you by way of focus. I don't read aloud. I, just, I don't make a practice of reading aloud, but I'm not against it. Uh, but if it helps you focus, because I've heard this many times, I just can't focus, well, then read aloud. That might help you. 
Listen, interact in prayer with God as, uh, as you read. Bible reading should be a dialogue, not a monologue. So this morning I was reading Psalm 104 and I found myself talking back to God because he, cha- he was challenging me to trust him. You know, while I live, I will, I will uh, sing praises to the Lord. I will sing praises to you while I have my being. And I, I didn't break out in song then. If I had been reading it, my wife and I might do that tomorrow. But that, when you read the scripture, do so as a dialogue. You're dialoguing with God. God's talking to you. You're talking to him. Dialogue with him. And just remember those observation, interpretation, correlation, and application. Okay, Observation says, what do I see? That has all the questions like who, what, where, why, when interpretation says, what does it mean? What does this mean? So you're asking, what do I see? You're pulling in the, you know, the history. Who's, who's writing this? When was it written? Who, how, that, how have those people originally have understood this? And then uh, what does it mean? And by the way, when it comes to what does it mean, don't, uh, don't get in the weeds on this stuff. I uh, remember the story of Eutychus in the book of Acts. Remember the guy who fell asleep and fell out the window? Remember that? And I remember one guy, one guy in Bible college, well, you know, all these candles were lit, and that means the oxygen was going out of the air, and that's the reason he fell asleep. And I'm thinking, he was sitting by the window. I mean, people have been falling asleep for years in church, right? I mean, that's, that's all that means, except that Paul raised him up again. Anyway, what does it mean? Correlation, this is mine, this is mine. Where else is this taught? This, is, this will keep you out of the weeds with weird interpretations, okay? The Bible, the Analogia Scriptura, the principle that the Reformers gave us, says that the Bible always comes together. It's not going to contradict itself. And finally, what should I do in the light of what I've learned? That's always what you... By the way, with correlation, we saw that this morning. Abraham, he goes back. You know, he was a worshiper of God. He, he lapses. He comes back, does what he did before, right? Didn't have to reinvent the will. And we see on the other end of the Bible, that's what Jesus tells us. Hey, remember, repent, and do the first works, right? So there's the correlation. So, and finally, what should I do in the light of what I've learned? That's always the challenge, right? Let's love our Bibles. Amen? Amen. God, that's what we commit ourselves to tonight. We recommit ourselves to loving you by loving your word. In Jesus' name, amen.